0: Chapter 10 of the Missing Bride. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Missing Bride by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter 10 A Grim Marriage. As the decisive day approached, Jacquelina certainly acted like one distraught. Now in wild defiance, now in paleness and tears, and anon in fitful mirth or taunting threats, she rapidly lost flesh and color, and in hysterical laughter accounted for it by saying that she believed in her soul Grimm was a spiritual vampire, who preyed upon her life. She avoided him as much as she could and if sometimes, when she was about to escape from him, he would seize her wrist and detain her, she would suddenly lose her breath and turn so pale that in the fear of her fainting he would release her. So he got no opportunity to press his claims. One morning, however—it was about a week before Christmas—she voluntarily sought his presence. She entered the parlor, where he sat alone excitement had flushed her cheeks with a vivid crimson and lighted her eyes with sparkling fire she did not know that her beauty was enhanced a thousandfold she did not know that never in her life had her presence kindled such a flame in the heart of her lover as it did at that moment and if he restrained himself from going to meet her it was the dread lest she should fade away from him, as he had seen her do so often. But she advanced and stood before him. Dr. Grimshaw, she said, I have come to make a last appeal to you. I have come to beg, to supplicate you for my sake, for honor, for truth, and for mercy's sake, yes, for heaven's sake, to withdraw your pretensions to my poor hand. For, sir, I do not and cannot like you. I do not say but that you are far too good and wise and every way too worthy for such a girl as i am and that you do me the very greatest honor by your preference but still no one account for tastes and sir i cannot like you pray pardon me indeed i cannot help it although her words were so humble her color was still heightened and her eyes had a threatening defiant sparkle in them so contradictory so piquant and fascinating in contrast with a little, fragile, graceful, helpless form that his head was almost turned. It was with difficulty. He could keep from snatching the fluttering, half-defiant, half-frightened, bird-like creature to his bosom. But he contented himself with saying, My fairy, we are commanded to love those that hate us, and should you hate me more than ever, I should only continue to love you. Love me at a distance, then and the greater the distance, the more grateful I shall be." He could no longer quite restrain himself. He seized her hand and drew her towards him, exclaiming in an eager, breathless half-whisper, "'No closer and closer shall my love draw us, beautiful one, until it compasses your hate and unites us forever. With a half-suppressed cry, she wrung her hand from his grasp, and answered wildly, I sought your presence to entreat you, and to warn you. I have supplicated you, and you have turned a deaf ear to my prayer. Now I warn you, and disregard my warning if you dare, despise it at your peril. I am going out of my wits, I think. I warn you that I may consent to become your wife. I have no persevering resistance in my nature. I cannot hold out forever against those I love. But I warn you that if ever i consent it will be under the undue influence of others put your consent upon any ground you please you delightful you enchanting little creature we will spare your blushes charming as they are he exclaimed surprised out of self-control and seizing both her hands angrily she snatched them from him what have i said oh what have i said i believe i am going crazy i tell you dr grimshaw that if i ever yield it will be only to the overwhelming force brought to bear upon me, and even then it will be only during a temporary fit of insanity. And I warn you, I warn you, not to dare to take me at my word. Will I not, you bewitching little sprite? Do you do this to make me love you ten thousand times more than I do?" Passionately she broke forth in reply. You do not believe me. You do not see that I am in terrible earnest. I tell you, Dr. Grimshaw, that were I induced to consent to be your wife, you had better not take advantage of such a consent. It would be the most fatal day's work you ever did for yourself in this world. You think I am only a spoiled, petulant child. You do not know me. I do not know myself. I am full of evil. I feel it sensibly. When I am near you, you develop the worst of me. Should you marry me, the very demon would rise in my bosom. I should drive you to distraction." "'You drive me to distraction now, you intoxicating little witch!' he exclaimed, laughing and darting toward her. She started and escaped his hand, crying, "'Saints in heaven! What infatuation! What madness! It must be fate! Avert the fate, man! Avert it, while there is still yet time. Go get a millstone, tie it around your neck, and cast yourself into the uttermost depths of the sea before ever you dare to marry me her cheeks were blazing with color and her eyes with light he saw only her transcendent beauty why you little tragi-comic enchantress you what do you mean come to my arms come wild bright bird come to my bosom he said stepping towards her and throwing his arms around her vampire she exclaimed struggling to free herself for a moment and then as his lips sought hers the color faded from her face, and the light died in her eyes, and he hastily released her and set her in a chair, lest she should swoon in his hated arms. Now how am I expected to live with such a wife as this girl would make me? If it were not for the estate, I should be tempted to give her up, and travel to forget her. How shall I overcome her repugnance? Not by courting her, that's demonstrated, only by being kind to her. And letting her alone. Such was the tenor of his thoughts as he stood a little behind her chair, out of her sight. But Jacquelina, when she found herself free, soon recovered and arose and left the room. Until a day or two before Christmas, when in the evening she glided into her uncle's room and sunk down by his side, so unlike herself, so like a spirit. "'that the old sinner impulsively shrank away from her "'and put out his hand to ring for lights. "'No, don't send for candles, uncle. "'Such a wretch as I am should tell you her errand in the dark. "'What do you mean now, Minx? "'Uncle, in all your voyages around the world, "'did you ever stop at Constantinople? "'And did you ever visit a slave mart there? "'Yes, of course I have. What then? "'What the deuce are you dreaming of?' How much would such a girl as myself bring in the slave market of the sultan's city? Are you crazy? asked the Commodore, opening his eyes to their widest extent. I don't know if I am. It can make little difference in your plans, but as there is method in my madness, please to answer my question, how much would I sell for in Constantinople? You are mad, that's certain. How do I know? where beauties sell for from five hundred to many thousand zechins, But you wouldn't sell for much. You're too small and too thin. Beauty sells by the weight, does it? Well, uncle, I see that you have been accustomed to the mart, for you know how to cheapen the merchandise. Save yourself the trouble, uncle. I shall not live long, and therefore I shall not have the conscience to ask a high price for myself. Mad, mad as a march hare. "'As sure as shooting she is,' said the Commodore in dismay, staring at her until his great fat eyes seemed bursting from their sockets. "'Not so mad as you think, Uncle, either. I have come to make a bargain with you.' "'What the foul fiend do you mean now? You want me to send you to Constantinople, pray?' Jacquelina laughed, something like her old silvery laugh, as she answered, "'No, Uncle, though if it were not for Mimi, I really should prefer to marrying Grimm.' what do you mean then speak this then uncle by what i have heard and what i have seen and what i have surmised i am already as deep in your secrets respecting grim as you are yourself you speak falsely you little no one knows anything about it but myself exclaimed the commodore betraying himself through astonishment and indignation Without heeding the contradiction, except by a sly smile, Jacquelina went calmly on. And I know that you wish to make me a stalking horse to convey the estate to Grimshaw, only because you cannot give it to him in any other way but through his wife. What do you mean, you little diabolical— It is my own! Why can I not give it to whom I please? I should like to know. You can give it to anyone in the world, Uncle, except Dr. Grimshaw, or to one who bears the same relationship to you that he does. For to such a one you may not legally bequeath your landed estate, or, you shocking, impudent little vixen, how dare you talk so? Hear me out, Uncle. I say, knowing such to be the case, I also know my own importance as a stalking horse or sumpter mule, or something of the sort, to bear upon my own shoulders the burden of this estate which you wish to give by me to Dr. Grimshaw. Therefore, I shall not give myself away for nothing. I intend to sell myself for a price. Nothing on earth would induce me to consent to marry Dr. Grimshaw were it not to secure peace and comfort to my mother's latter days. Your threat of turning me out of doors would not compel me into such a marriage, for well I know that you would not venture to put that threat into execution. But I cannot bear to see my poor mother suffer so much as she does while here, dependent upon your uncertain protection. You terrify and distress her beyond her powers of endurance. You make the bread of dependence very, very bitter to her indeed and well I know that she will certainly die if she remains subjected to your powers of tormenting. I speak plainly to you, uncle, having nothing to conceal. To proceed, I assure you, I will not meet your views in marrying Dr. Grimshaw unless it be to purchase for my poor mother a deliverance from bondage and an independence for life. Therefore, I demand that you shall buy this place Locust Hill, which I hear can be bought for $5,000, and settle it upon my mother, in return for which I will bestow my hand in marriage upon Dr. Grimshaw, and mind, I do not promise with it either love, or esteem, or service. Only my hand in civil marriage, that shall make my mother independent of the world, must be drawn up, or examined by a lawyer that she shall appoint and must be placed in her hands on the same hour that gives my hand to dr grimshaw do you understand now uncle that is my ultimatum for please the heavens above us come what may do what you will turn me and my mother out of doors to freeze and starve i will die and see her die before i will sell my hand for a less price than will make her independent and at ease for life for look you i would rather see her dead than leave her in your power think of this uncle there is time enough tomorrow and next day to make all the arrangements only be sure i am in earnest look in my face am i not in earnest i think you are you little wretch i could shake the life out of you that would be easy uncle there is not much to shake out only in that case you would have no stalking horse to take the estate over to dr grimshaw and so saying jacquelina arose to leave the room come back here you little vixen you san returned it's well to strike while the iron's hot and to bind you while you're willing to be bound for you are an uncertain little villain though i don't believe you'd break a solemn pledge once given eh? Huh? no sir Pledge me your word of honor now that if I buy this little farm of Locust Hill and settle it upon your mother, you will marry Dr. Grimshaw on this coming Christmas Eve. I pledge you my word of honor that I will, without mental reservation, without mental reservation. Stop. It is safer to seal such a pledge. Climb up on the stand and hand me that Bible down off the top shelf. Brush the cobwebs off it, and don't let the spiders come with it. Jacquelina did as she was bid, with a half indifferent, half disdainful air. There. Now lay your hand upon this book, and swear by the holy evangelists of Almighty God that you will do as you have pledged yourself to do. I swear, said Jacquelina. Very well. Now, confound you, you may put the book back again and go about your business. Sansouchi very willingly complied, and then as she left the room and closed the door after her, her quick ear caught the sound of the commodore's voice chuckling. So I've trapped you. Ten minutes more, and it would have been impossible. Full of wonder as to what his words might mean, doubting also whether she had heard them all right, Jacquelina was hastening on toward her mother's room when she met her aunt, "'Henrietta hurrying towards her and speaking impetuously. "'Oh, my little Lapwing, where have you been? "'I've been looking for you all over the house. "'Good news, dear Lapwing, good news. "'Deliverance is at hand for you. "'Who do you think has come? "'Who, who?' questioned Sansuchi eagerly. "'Cloudy!' "'Lost, lost!' cried the wretched girl. "'And with a wild shriek that rang through all the house, "'she threw up her arms and fell forward to the ground.' The marriage was appointed to take place on Christmas Day. Jacquelina suffered her mother to dress her in bridal array. Dr. Grimshaw was waiting for her in the hall. As soon as she reached the foot of the stairs, he took her hand and, pressing it, whispered, "'Sweet girl, forgive me this persistence!' "'May God never forgive me if I do!' she fiercely exclaimed, transfixing him with a flashing glance never lover uttered a deeper sigh than that which Dr. Grimshaw gave forth as he led his unwilling bride to the carriage. The groomsman, followed with the bridesmaid, the commodore, and Mary Lesor, accompanied the party in a gig. Henrietta, true to her word, refused to be present at the marriage. When the wedding party arrived at the chapel, all the pews were filled to suffocation, WITH A CROWD THAT THE RUMOR OF THE APPROACHING MARRIAGE HAD DRAWN TOGETHER, AND THE BRIDAL PARTY WERE THE cynosure OF MANY HUNDRED EYES AS THEY PASSED UP THE AISLE AND STOOD BEFORE THE ALTAR. THE CEREMONY PROCEEDED, BUT NOT ONE RESPONSE, EITHER VERBALLY OR MENTALLY, did JACQUELINA MAKE. THE PRIEST PASSED OVER HER SILENCE, NATURALLY ASCRIBING IT TO BASHFULNESS AND HONESTLY TAKING HER CONSENT FOR GRANTED. The rites were finished, the benediction bestowed, and friends and acquaintances left their pews and crowded around with congratulations. Among the foremost was Thurston Wilcoxen, whose suave and stately courtesy and graceful bearing and gracious words so pleased Commodore Waugh that, knowing Jacquelina to be married and safe, he invited and urged the accomplished young Parisian as he was often called, to return and partake of the Christmas wedding-breakfast. do you take your bride home in the gig, as you'll want her company to yourself, and we will go in the carriage,' said the commodore good-naturedly. In fact, the old man had not been in such a fine humour for many a day. Dr. Grimshaw, nothing loath, led his fair bride to the gig, handed her in, and took the place beside her. "'Now, then, fairest and dearest,' You are at last, indeed, my own, he said, seeking her eyes. Thank heaven I am not. I never forswore myself. I never opened my lips or formed a vow in my head. I never promised you anything, said Jacquelina, turning away, and the rest of the journey was made in silence. End of chapter 10